Fed up with the everyday grind? Tired out by the dull routine? You want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape! Transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You're aboard the Orient Express rushing through the European night bound for Istanbul. And in your compartment with you, a gun pointed at your head, a small mysterious stranger is about to take your life. Today, we escape from reality to the tense world of Balkan intrigue, as Graham Greene pictured it in his famous novel, Orient Express. My name is Gregory Myatt. In 1932, I had to go to Istanbul on business, and I decided to take the Orient Express. After an uneventful trip across the channel, I found myself at the station in Austin, Belgium, where the Orient Express began. The porter took my bags and overcoat to my first-class compartment while I lingered on the platform. And, inevitably, somebody bumped into me. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's quite all right. I wonder which way are the second-class coaches, please? That way, I think. Uh... Your suitcase looks heavy. May I? Oh, no, thanks. I can manage all right. Yeah, she had a very nice figure, trim and erect. I wondered whether she was going as far as Istanbul. Orient Express, en voiture. I made my way down the platform to my coach. But there was a stranger in my compartment going through my overcoat. Young man, you have the wrong compartment. And you have the wrong overcoat. This coat is mine. Also this compartment, number seven. It happens to be number eight. Eight? I have made a mistake. A thousand apologies, sir. (laughs) That's all right. Thank you. You are going to Belgrade, perhaps? No, no, I'm for Istanbul. So, allow me. My name is Richard John. How do you do? My name's Myatt, Gregory Myatt. I am grateful you are a fellow countryman. These little mistakes can be so difficult to explain. Fellow countryman? But I'm American. I also... I am a naturalized American all these many years, but the accent remains. Hmm? Yes, I suppose it does. Well, we are underway. I will go to my compartment. A most pleasant journey, sir, and again, a thousand apologies. I looked at the landscape for a while and then got out a book and settled on to read. And at that moment, of course, we ran into a string of tunnels, all of them pitch black. I was just about to ring for the guard to ask to have the lights switched on, but the train was crashing to a stop. We were in a tunnel. I got up and groped for the door. Went into the corridor just as the lights went on. Lying on the floor was the girl who had bumped into me. Excuse me, please. One side, please. Excuse me, please. Madame's conductor, it is my duty to inform you it is not allowed for a passenger to stop the Orient Express. Mr. Myatt, if you will allow me, please. Oh, Mr. John, hadn't we better get a doctor? I am a doctor, Mr. Myatt. Allow me. So, there is nothing wrong with this young lady. She has only fainted. Oh, good, good. Uh, Give me a hand, Mr. John. Let's get her into my compartment. Yes, of course you are. Here you are. Drink this. 
this brandy. Drink it, young lady. It will help you. Good. I don't know why I fainted. I never did before. When did you last have a decent meal? Yesterday? The day before? I suppose it was the day before. That's my affair. You have no money? No. Uh, how would you like to have dinner with me? Well, I... Uh, please say yes. I won't say no. Fine, fine. Will you join us, Mr. John? No, I, I prefer to remain in my compartment. As we dined, I learned her name was Carol Musker. She was a chorus girl, and she had a job waiting for her in Istanbul. I felt a bit sorry for her, but, well, more than that, I, I remembered how she felt in my arms when I carried her into my compartment, and I wanted to hold her again. I ate a lot, Mr. Myatt. I hope you can afford the check. <laughs> I think I can. Oh, good. Now, how about uh, breakfast tomorrow, and all the rest of your meals till we reach Istanbul? Mr. Myatt, I hope you don't have any ideas about me. Well, of course I have. You're very attractive. Well, I, I don't know anything about you. For all I know, you're married and have six children. I am not, and I haven't. <laughs> How about you? I have no one. Well, then there's no reason why we shouldn't have ideas about each other, is there? And by the way, my first name's Gregory. Uh, more coffee or dessert? No, thanks. Well, then as soon as I oh, paid Mr. the... Mr. Myatt. Oh, Mr. John. Excuse me, is this yours? Uh, that's my pocketbook. I found it in the corridor outside my compartment. You must have dropped it when you lifted this young lady. He gave me my pocketbook and left the dining car. All my money was there, but one thing I knew, I had not dropped my pocketbook. Mr. John had taken it. Well, Carol and I started through the train. It was about nine o'clock and the lights were already dimmed. In the second-class coaches, people were asleep, sitting up in the crowded compartments. Mr. Myatt, here's my compartment. Thank you for dinner. It's, uh, very early. You have to go in? Oh, I'm tired. Oh, it's too crowded in there for comfortable sleeping. And besides, you never know who's next to you. <laughs> oh, but I do. That little fat man, see? His name's Joseph Grunlich. <laughs> he introduced himself. Oh, he did, did he? You're not jealous. No. But what do you know about him? He might be a thief or a bigamist <laughs> Now or... you're being ridiculous. Well, good night, Mr. Myatt. Gregory? Carol? Yes? You might kiss me good night. No one will notice. All right. What? Oh. Oh, young lovers, eh? Oh, oh Mr. Grunlick. If you're going somewhere, sir, why don't you go ahead? Do not be angry, please. I was not spying, Mr. Meyer. How do you know my name? We all heard of the gentleman gallant enough to take Miss Musker to dinner at the good doctor's suggestion. Doctor? What doctor? Mr. John. He's a doctor, is he not? <laughs> now, if you'll please excuse me, I must get some water. I'm quite thirsty. I don't think I like that guy. Carol, how about taking my compartment? Your compartment? <laughs> or I'll, I'll get you another one. We'll speak to the conductor right now, huh? Uh, first class compartment for the young lady, monsieur. You must wait until we arrive at Cologne. No tickets are sold aboard the Orient Express. We arrive in Cologne in, uh, let me see, uh, precisely 15 minutes. Two Orient Express, living 
As we walked up to the first-class ticket window, a woman elbowed us out of the way. Please excuse me. You don't mind if I go first, do you? My train for Paris leaves any minute. Well, in that case, go right ahead. Thank you. Oh, Hans. Hans, finish now. Oh, Fräulein Warren. One to Paris, Hans. My editor has gotten me a... She was a reporter, apparently. While waiting for her change, her eyes went past me to the Orient Express, and suddenly they widened. I followed her glance. Mr. John was just uh, stepping back into his compartment. Uh, one moment, Hans. Change this ticket for a sleeper on the Orient Express. Make it uh, Belgrade. Oh, you are lucky, Miss Warren. There is only one accommodation on the Orient Express. Oh, good, uh, good. Just a moment there. We were here first. Uh, I thought you were going to Paris, Not Miss. when I see Dr. Zinner on the Orient Express. Dr. Zinner? Uh, the man you were looking at was uh, Richard John. Is that the name he's using now? Oh, uh, thank you, Hans. Uh, j- just a moment there. I'm taking that ticket. Mein Herr, I regret, but the lady asked for it before you did, and she is an old customer. Here, here's the ticket, Miss Warren. Who is it? Gregory Might, Mr. John. I'd like to talk to you for a moment. May we come in? Why, yes. Yes, of course. You are feeling better, Miss Musker? You are getting enough rest? Yes, thanks. That's why we're here. Miss Musker's taking my compartment, and I'm staying in here with you. I wish I could oblige, but I prefer my privacy. Why is that, Dr. Sinner? My name is Richard John. Where did you hear otherwise? From a newspaper reporter who saw you in the station at Cologne. Oh. I don't know what it's all about, and I don't much care, but Miss Musker is going to have my compartment, and I'm going to move into this one with you. Any objections? No. In fact, both of you shall stay here with me. But, oh. What the devil? Gently, Mr. Meyer. Yes, a gun. I am an excellent shot, believe me. Oh, Craig. We shall all stay, I insist. Lock the door, Mr. Meyer. That's fine. Now... Just who are you, Mr. Myatt? Who am I? A police spy here to keep me from getting to Belgrade? Oh, that's ridiculous. You surely don't expect me to believe your story about some... Mr. John. Mr. John. That sounds like the reporter from Cologne. Tell her she has made a mistake. Tell her, Myatt. Uh, go away. You've got the wrong compartment. My name is Myatt. I'm a reporter. Mabel Warren, London Clarion. Myatt, put your arm around Miss Musker. Open the door part way, just enough for her to see both of you. I shall be behind the door, and remember, I have a gun. I... Oh, you're not the man I'm after, are you? My name is Myatt. I haven't the slightest idea where you can find your Mr. John. Well, I'll find him. He's on the Orient Express somewhere. Excuse me for interrupting your, uh... Um... Excuse me for interrupting you... Good night, Mr. Myatt. Bolt the door, please. Oh, perhaps you really are only an American businessman, Mr. Myatt. In that case, I owe you an explanation. Sit down. He told us a fantastic story. He was a political exile from his own country. He'd been forced to leave five years ago, and now he was going back to lead a rebellion, to overthrow the government by a coup d'etat. Uh, to me, it made very little sense. Had it not been for the gun in his hand, I might have so laughed in see, his face. If I am captured before this train gets to Belgrade, I will be executed. Once in Belgrade, however, I am safe. I am very popular. I know the city. There are thousands ready to hide me. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, 
Now that you believe we're who we say we are, you could put that gun away. I'll bunk here with you, and Miss Musker can go to my compartment. I cannot allow that. Among the passengers on this train are many of my countrymen. Some would be loyal if they knew about me, but others would not. Dr. Zinner, we'll tell no one. I am sure you would not, intentionally, but it might slip out. No, I cannot permit you to leave this compartment. I'm warning you, if I can, I'm going to take that gun away from you. Don't try it, my friend. You're older than I am, Dr. Zinner. You're tired. Just how long can you stay awake? I sat with Carol on one seat. He was across from us, the revolver in his hand. And it got later and later and later. I'm tired, Greg. I'll just close your eyes then, Carol. Are you sleepy, Dr. Zinner? Not yet, Mr. Meyer. Carol was asleep on my shoulder. I fought to keep my eyes open, but I dozed off. And then somehow I came awake. I lifted my head. Dr. Zinner was asleep. I reached across and grabbed the gun. Oh, oh. Greg. It's all right, Carol. I've got it. Well, Dr. Zinner? You are right, sir. I tried to stay awake. But... Stay here, Carol. I'm going to locate the conductor. I'm going to tell him what's been going on. Oh, no, you must not. I shall never get to Belgrade. Greg, they'll kill him. No, we're still outside his country. He won't be hurt. But if you report me to the conductor, I shall be put off the train. Well, in short, no harm done. I'll be back soon, Carol. I left the compartment and started down the corridor. I heard a noise behind me, and as I turned, I caught a glimpse of a shadowy figure, one arm raised high above my head, and then the arm swung down and something hard and heavy crashed against my skull. And I fell into a pool of blackness, and I knew nothing more. In just a moment, we will return to Escape. But first... The blazing billboard for CBS's 10 great Sunday night shows has an especially big blaze of lights near the top of the list. That's where the names of Spike Jones, Jack Benny, and Amos and Andy are found in succession. Spike Jones, Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, the most unusual sequence of top-rating comedy in radio. Don't miss a single second of their 90 non-stop minutes of mirth tomorrow night on CBS's great Sunday Night 10. Amos and Andy and Spike Jones come to you over most of these same CBS stations, and Jack Benny is heard over them all. And now, with our star, Bill Conrad, we return to the second act of Escape and... The Orient Express. How much later it was when I opened my eyes, I don't know. Whoever had hit me had done an expert job. Might have been Zinner, or... Or even Carol. Had no way of knowing. The gun was gone. I dragged myself to my feet and stumbled down the corridor back to compartment number seven, but it was empty. Perhaps they'd moved to my compartment. I hurried to it. No, no, there was nothing in my compartment. My bags were gone, even my overcoat. Inside, I began to feel a strange, unreasoning fear. Why was it so quiet? Where were all the other passengers? I went along the entire corridor. I opened every door in the coach. Uh, the com- it was completely empty. I felt as 
As if I were going crazy. And I lost consciousness again. Mister, what? wake up. Wake up. What? Who are you? I, sir. I am the brakeman. No. Tell me, what happened to everyone? This coach was full. I got on at Austin. Dozens of people got on at Austin. Oh, no, sir. This coach is empty. And it comes only from Regensburg. Regensburg? Huh? No, it's, it's from Austin, I tell you. Look. Compartment 8, this was mine. My bags, my overcoat, they were here, and now they've disappeared. Yeah, what was that? Oh, that is only the switch engine. We are on the yards outside Vienna. This coach is a deadhead. It was put on at the Orient Express at Regensburg, and now we take it off. Deadhead? You mean... No, it's not my coach at all. The regular coaches are... The Orient Express is in front of us, sir. If you do not want it to leave without you, you had better hurry, sir. Don't worry, I'll make it. The Orient Express was just getting underway when I dropped off the front of the deadhead. I had plenty of time to run up alongside and swing aboard. I made my way through the train to my coach and knocked on the door of centers of compartment. Open up in there. Who is it? Gregory Myatt, open the door. Come in, please. Lying on the berth, bound and gagged, was the reporter, Miss Warren. And standing beside her, gun in hand, was not Dr. Zinner, but Joseph Grundlich. You have a very tough skull, Mr. Meyer. I should have hit you a little harder, no? Where is Carol? Where is Dr. Zinner? Why have you tied up this reporter? No, please, please, not so fast. First, as to Miss Warren, I have tied her to prevent her from interfering with Dr. Zinner. Had I allowed her to file her newspaper story, Dr. Zinner would never get to Belgrade. I happen to be a Narden follower of Dr. Zinner. I was standing watch last night when you dashed into the corridor, Mr. Myatt. You had this very gun in your hand. You had obviously broken away from Dr. Zinner. Fortunately, I had a blackjack. Where is Carol and Dr. Zinner? Do you promise to do nothing to interfere with Dr. Zinner's plan? I promise nothing. Now, be reasonable. The Orient Express will soon cross the border into my own country. It makes only one stop at the border for passport identification. After that, you are involved no longer. Why be stubborn? All right, Grundlich. I won't interfere. Ah, Mr. Myatt, I thank you. You may go now. Dr. Zinner and Miss Musker are next door in your compartment. Dr. Zinner was seated on one berth dozing and Carol lay on the opposite berth fast asleep, traces of tears on her cheeks. She shivered. I covered her with my overcoat and she woke up. Gregory. Gregory, I didn't know where you were. Shh. Go back to sleep. Oh, I searched everywhere. I didn't know what to do. And I came back here. Oh, I was so tired. Dr. Zinner made me go to sleep. Everything's all right. In a few hours, everything will be fine. Now... Close your eyes and go back to sleep. I left the compartment and went to the second-class coach. With both Carol and Grundlich gone, there was space for me. I slept until I was awakened by a Hungarian passport inspector. The train had stopped in a town named Subotica, just inside the border. I showed him my passport. Then I went to the dining car. The breakfast rush was just starting, so I gave a waiter a pound note and had him get me breakfast for two. 
By the time the Orient Express was ten minutes out of Shibotika, we were going down the corridor, the loaded tray tinkling as the waiter followed me. We arrived at my compartment, but it was empty. No sign of Senna, no sign of Carol. A torn piece of paper was tucked under the cuff of my overcoat. It was a note. I have left with Dr. Zinner. I'm afraid this is goodbye. Signed, Carol Musker. Sir, the breakfast. Where shall I put the tray? What? The breakfast. Oh. Take it back. I don't want it. I sat near the window and watched the landscape drift past. My suspicions had been right all along. Dr. Zinner had played me for a fool. And so had Carol. After a while, I became conscious of a tapping sound on the wall of my compartment. It kept on, and suddenly I realized that it was coming from the compartment next to mine, someone's heel banging against the wall. It took only a minute to get next door. It was Miss Warren, the reporter, all tied and gagged. Oh, thank goodness. I thought you'd never hear me. Where's Grundlich? Where are the others? You mean you don't know what's happened? Zinner's going to be executed. Executed? Well, they took him off the train at Subotica. Grundlich arranged the whole thing. He's a government spy. Well, he can't be. Well, he is. They're probably holding a drumhead court-martial on Dr. Zinner back in Subotica this minute. I see. And Carol Musker's a government spy, too? The girl? No. Yeah, she must be. They took her off the train. Well, they had to. They couldn't have any witnesses. Well, what will they do with her? Probably kill her. But... Hey, here, what are you doing? You can't jump out. The train's going 60 at least. I'm going back there. To Subotica? You're insane. Look, there's a small town up ahead. I saw it when I leaned out. Some cars are parked at the station. I saw them. I'm going to pull the emergency cord. Take one of those cars. What can you possibly do in Subotica? I don't know, but I'll do something. Go ahead, Mr. Myers. I'm going with you. I pulled the emergency cord, and in a matter of seconds, the Orient Express was screeching to a halt right at the station. I flung open the door, and with Miss Warren close behind me, I ran toward the parked cars. Here. You. You. Come here. Do you speak English? A car, gentlemen, a car very cheap. I want to go to Shibotica. It's too far, 50 kilometers. I'll give you 20 pounds. Well, get in, gentlemen, get in. We were at Shibotica inside of an hour. I had the driver stop just before we got into the center of town and told him to wait. Miss Warren and I started down the main street. Mr. Myatt, Look. In the doorway of a small restaurant, his back to us, talking to a chef, was Joseph Grundlich. Just keep walking. All right. Try to hear what he's saying. Did you hear what he said? Something about a last meal for two people to be taken to the railroad station. Don't turn your head. Just keep walking. railroad station platform was empty, so was the ticket office. But through the window, we could see the waiting room, and beyond it was a closed door to a baggage room. There was a large, old-fashioned key in the lock, and standing beside the door was a soldier with a rifle. That's where they must be in the baggage room. You don't have a gun, I suppose? No. No, neither do I. The key's in the lock, if I can get to it without the soldiers noticing. We've got to get the soldier away from the door, Miss Warren. How? Uh... Look, do you see that telephone over there in the far corner? If we could somehow get the soldier over to the telephone, his view of the baggage room door would be cut off. Look, that'll be your job, Miss Warren. Mine? Go into the waiting room and up to the telephone booth. Smile at the soldier as you go by. Then pretend you're having some trouble with the phone. Appeal to him for help. Right. When he joins you at the phone booth, keep him occupied while I go in and let him out. But he might look around. Just talk to him. Zinner and Carol and I will try to make the car. 
You'll have to hurry. Gruelick and that last meal may be here any minute. We'll hurry, all right. Through the grimy window, I watched as Miss Warren crossed the waiting room to the telephone, smiling at the soldier. She left the booth and walked over to him. Couldn't hear what they were saying. She smiled at him again, putting her hand on his arm. They went over to the booth. I took a deep breath and entered the waiting room. I could hear them talking as I started toward the baggage room. Carol. Gregory. Shh. Shh. No noise. Dr. Zinner. Carol, go to the station platform. Now, no noise. Come on. What's your plan? Eric, follow me. We started back toward the open door that led to the station platform. We went out slowly, not making a sound. Miss Warren was still talking to the soldier, and then suddenly their voices stopped. I glanced back. The soldier's gun had fallen to the floor. He was kissing Miss Warren. We got out to the platform, and I shut the door quietly. All right, follow me. The car's two blocks away. What about well, her? She's a reporter. They won't dare touch her. Now, come on. All right. In a few moments, the station was behind us. The car was only a block away now. We turned the corner, and walking toward us, not ten feet away, was Joseph Grundlich and a waiter from the restaurant. Before he could collect his wits, I ran at him. <laughs> he crumpled to the ground. Then I hit the waiter. <laughs> All right, run for it! All right! Grundlich fired a few shots at us, but hit no one. And then we were in the car, and he fired at us no longer. En voiture, Orient Express, all aboard. Goodbye, Dr. Zenner. You sure you won't come along? Oh, I stay here in Belgrade. I shall be all right now, thanks to you. Goodbye, Mr. Meyer. Goodbye. Come in. Hello. Hello. You, uh, mind if I sit down? No, not at all. Well, we'll be in Istanbul tomorrow. Mm-hmm. A day late. <laughs> you know, I probably lost that uh, chorus job. <laughs> have any idea what you'll do then? Oh, I think so. I have an idea. Uh, yeah. So have I. A very good idea. Come here. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today, we have presented transcribed Orient Express by Graham Greene, adapted for radio by Sheldon Stark and Walter Newman, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Gregory Myatt was Bill Conrad. Featured players were Edgar Barrier, Hans Conrad, Gloria Grant, Harry Bartell, Anne Morrison, Jack Crucian, and John Daner. The special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week, 
You are alone in the steaming jungle with three men. You know that one of them is a desperate criminal, a man you've come here to arrest. But you don't know which one. You'll have to find him before he can save himself by killing you. Next week, we escape with L.G. Blockman's exciting tale of a manhunt, Red Wine. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week when, once again, CBS offers you Escape. Looking for more escape drama? There'll be more coming along on CBS tonight when most of these same CBS stations will bring you The Adventures of Philip Marlowe and Gangbusters. They're both regular Saturday night features on CBS. Now, stay tuned for five minutes of the latest news to be followed immediately by the Let's Pretend program over most of these same CBS network stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Fed up with the everyday grind? Tired out by the dull routine? You want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape, transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You're alone in the jungle with three men. You know that one of them is a desperate criminal whom you've come to arrest, but you don't know which one. You have to find him before he can save himself by killing you. Today we escape from reality into the depths of a tropical jungle in a tantalizing search for a murder, as L.G. Blockman told it in his famous story, Red Wine. Rusty little tramp freighter bumped against the rickety wharf, and I dropped from the rail onto the planking. For the first time, felt the humid heat roll out of the jungle. This was Tanjong Samar, sweltering, half forgotten, last outpost on the rubber coast of Borneo. I crossed the beach and walked up the path of crushed shells leading to a low bungalow at the edge of the jungle. The freighter would lie at the wharf for four hours. Plenty of time for me to get the thing over with and be back aboard when she sailed. 
I was expecting trouble, of course, but no real danger. I'd done jobs like this before, or at least I thought this would be the same. I thought so until I stepped up on the porch and met Herr Kurt, controller of the Tanjong Samad district. Yeah, I'm Herr Kurt, the controller. What is it I can do for you? Uh, my name's Paul Vernier, Mr. Kurt. I have a letter of introduction here from the governor general. Mm-hmm. To... There you are. Uh-huh. Mr. Paul Vernier from the United States. Yeah, uh, the governor promised me your cooperation. So I see. Cooperation is good, but it does not say cooperation in what? I've come here after a killer, Mr. Kurt. Oh, Dayaks, maybe? Headhunters? No, this one's a civilized killer. An American wanted in San Francisco for murdering his wife. His name is Jerome Steaks. I see. Won't you sit down, Mr. Fenier? Won't him, you call. He died in Jeffrey. Sit, Juan. I'll bring right away. We'll have coffee in a moment. Oh, nice of you, but I, maybe I better pick this guy up first. I'd hate to miss the boat and have to lay over five days. You're acquainted with this... Steaks, Mr. Vernier? No, I've never seen him. You have photographs? Wait, <laughs> not. Nor fingerprints. Now, this happened two years ago. Until last month, we had it listed as a double suicide. Oh, what are you driving at, Mr. Kurt? Simply this. There's no one in my district by the name of Steaks. <laughs> no, he wouldn't be using his own name, of course. There is an American here, though. <laughs> Three of them, Mr. Vernier. Employed as foreman on the Kota rubber plantation here at Tanjong Sama. According to my information, Steaks came here from Batavia about six months ago. (laughs) They all arrived six months ago on the same boat. The Colta company is just going back into operation, you understand? I see. Well, according to people who have seen him, Jerome Steaks is a man about 35 years old, of medium height, slight build, pale complexion with black hair and mustache. Amazing. Any one of these men might fit that description. Except that all are clean-shaven and heavily tanned from the tropical sun. Furthermore, Mr. Fenier, all three of the men have light blonde hair. Good. Pour two cups, one. I'll have Wong bring your baggage up from the wharf, Mr. Fenier. It appears your business may take a little longer than four hours. I'm certain of the information I got in Batavia. I know the man's here. Then the problem resolved itself into a matter of identification. Well, an hour's talk with the three of them ought to do that. Mm. I doubt that, Mr. Finneo. The swamps here at Tanjong Sama are infested with fever. Cream. It is always hot, like now. And the jungles back there swarm with krites. Krites? A deadly little snake, no longer your forearm. There you are. And in the rivers, there are crocodiles. So? Men rarely come here Unless they are running away from something, trying to lose their past. I think you'll find all three men have manufactured stories. So, I always want to choose. Well, sometimes a man can be identified by his personality. Oh, and the personality of this man, Steaks, is um, it's something out of the ordinary. For a foreman on a rubber plantation, yes. I, I doubt if all three of these men can be aristocrats, and in a sense... Well, that's what Steaks is, a cosmopolitan. He's lived all around the world, always associating with top society. He's a lover of fine foods and wine, speaks French and German fluently. What's wrong? Well, he's a gourmet, a bon vivant, a man of perfect taste in clothes and manners. And a murderer. Yeah, and a murderer. Yeah, well, 
Rangers 3 men return this evening. I shall be most happy to introduce you to them, though it's quite probable they are aware of your identity already. My mm-hmm. houseboy there told me you were a detective before you stepped off the wharf. Oh, I see. So, in other words, the murderer probably knows who I am and what I'm here for, but I haven't the slightest idea who he is. <laughs> exactly. It's quite an interesting thought, isn't it? Uh, more coffee, Mr. Finio? I should like you to meet uh, Mr. Doran. Hiya, Mr. Veneer. Uh, this is Mr. Wilmerting. Hiya, Mr. Veneer. My name's Prale. Glad to meet you. Oh, same here, Mr. Prale. Might as well drop the mister. We don't use him much around here. I'm Prale. That's Doran. That's Wilmerting. You're Veneer, if it's all the same to you. Oh, sure, Prale. Why not? Now, if you gentlemen will excuse me, I have a number of things to do. Uh, will you bring Mr. Veneer to my bungalow for dinner? Uh, we'll celebrate having a guest in Tanjong somehow. Oh, yeah? Sure. Okay. Okay. See you. Okay. Uh, Herr Kurt tells me all three of you are Americans. I don't know whether I'm still one or not. I've been to the States in seven years. Oh, seven years, huh? And you're an old-timer here, Duran. No, not here. Australia. Uh, oh. Don't get him started, Vernier. He'll spend two hours telling you how he lost his shirt trying to raise sheep down there. <laughs> if I had either money or sense, I wouldn't have come to this stinking hole. Oh, I wouldn't say you fellas had it too rough. I've uh, been noticing those empty bottles there on the shelf. What do you mean, Vernier? Hmm. Paul Messon, 1936. That's good champagne. Mm-hmm. You boys are living like connoisseurs. Oh, no, no, you're overrating us, Vernier. Those uh, empty bottles were already here when we came. Oh? Just never got around to throwing them out. Prale here is the only connoisseur in the bunch. He can tell you anything you want to know about wines. Yeah. Or about anything. Uh, dry up just because a guy happens to know a little more than somebody else. There's no reason to keep riding them all the time. I wish you knew some way to make ice. Getting plenty fed up with warm beer day in and day out. Yeah, that would get pretty tiresome. I think I'd switch to Chambertin or Chablis or something. Hmm? Uh, come again? Well, I didn't necessarily mean those in particular, but there are quite a number of wines that are even better warm than they are chilled. Now you're in the wrong place, Chum. We wouldn't know what to do with them if we had them. This is strictly a beer and gin crowd. Well, there'd be no kick on that if we had some ice to go with it. Boy, what I wouldn't give for a cold, frosty bottle. Oh, relax, will you, Wilmerding? You're making me thirsty. Uh, (laughs) How about some music? Music? Uh, Does one of you play some instruments? Sure, Prale. He's terrific on that phonograph over there in the corner. Oh. (laughs) Only trouble is he thinks three o'clock in the morning is the greatest song ever written. Well, I can see that that would lead to quite an argument, Doran, particularly if you're a lover of the classics. Oh, no. I don't go for that long hair stuff. Oh. But I would like to hear a fast number once in a while. It's less than ten years old. Yeah. You ought to see this collection, Prale, dragged up here from Batavia, strictly from the gay 90s. Uh, Prale, you don't by any chance have a number called Ilium Meroutier dans cette maison. Ah, some Italian opera. Oh, no, no, it's French. Well, come on, Braille, translate it for us. You claim to be an expert on the French language. Oh, it's worded kind of funny, like poetry. Ah, sure, sure. Yeah, that last word, though, uh, maison, that means house, I know that. (laughs) That's too bad. I thought maybe Jerome Steaks might translate it. It refers to him, of course. What are you talking about? The sentence reads, there is a murderer in this house. Huh? Well... So you're finally coming out in the open, huh? Yeah. 
We heard you were a detective, Vernier. You're after some killer you've never seen named Steaks. You figure one of us is it. That's right, Prale. And the guy you're after is Wilmerding. Are you crazy? Who ever heard of anybody with a name like Wilmerding unless they made it up? Made up nothing. I got a passport to prove it. What are you trying to do, Prale? Turn attention away from yourself? Look, I got nothing to hide. It's either you or Duran. You uh... can leave me out of this right now. There's plenty of people in Australia who can tell you who I am. Unfortunately, though, there's nobody in Tanjong Sama who can tell me for certain who any of you are. One of you is a murderer, and by the time the boat gets back here, I'll know which one. Either I'm going to take Jerome Steaks back to San Francisco, or I'm going to kill him trying to. You can count on it. Well, what do you say we go on over to Kurt's bungalow and have dinner, hmm? Wilmerding's room there. Doran sleeps here. Uh, and Prale on down at the end. I see. And uh, this is the guest room. Oh. At least the only guest room that's usable at present. Well, it looks all right. Well, it's yours for the time you're here, Mr. Veneer. Oh, do all of these rooms open out under the porch? Yes, the veranda, as we call it here. And there's no way to lock this door? Unfortunately, no. Anyway, the windows are covered only by mosquito netting. <laughs> it makes another interesting situation, does it not? Yeah, I suppose interesting is the word for it. Most likely all these gentlemen are acting to a greater or lesser extent, which of course makes your problem exceedingly difficult. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Mr. Kurt, you uh, did say a man rarely came here unless he wanted to lose his past. And yet, you're here. Yeah, yes, it is true. But then, I'm only a servant of the government and have little choice where I'm sent, no? Well... Good night, Mr. Veneal. Uh, good night, Mr. Kurt. I trust you'll have a very comfortable night. Thank you. I sat there for a long time after Kurt left, trying to figure things out, getting nowhere. This was Borneo, and though the Coleman lantern on the table at my elbow threw a blaze of white light into every corner of the room. Outside that light lay the dark veranda, and beyond that, the jungle. Gradually, the night breeze brought the smell of the jungle into the room, as rich and as exotic as the scent of taboo, fragrant as midnight orchid, as disturbing as the scent of danger. Or maybe, maybe it was danger itself I was smelling. A heavy knife missed my throat by two inches. Thudded into the bamboo partition and stuck there, quivering. I doused the lantern in one sweep, dropped down on the floor, and slid my thirty-eight out of its holster. I could hear nothing but the rustle of palm thatch along the eaves. Low creaks from the pilings underneath the bungalow. And the soft night sounds from the jungle. Finally, I slipped my shoes off, pulled the knife out of the wall and dropped it in my pocket, moved to the door and stepped quietly out onto the veranda. It was empty. Across the railing, the fringe of undergrowth was dappled in silver moonlight. Nothing moved. I paused quickly at the three doors and from each heard the sound of snoring. One of the men was faking, but which one? I'd reached the end of the porch when my eye caught a slight movement in the banana clump a few yards from the steps. Someone was hiding there. I moved swiftly, holding the gun ready. Came within a few feet before I could make out a shape in a red and white sarong, complete with dark, tumbled curls and a flower behind one ear. 
was a girl. Please, Tuan. Egon, you are going to shoot me? No, no, relax, honey. I was looking for somebody else. Oh. And now you have found Nelana, so you are disappointed? Well, I... Look, did you see anybody moving around up there on the veranda a while ago? Only you, Tuan. I became frightened and ran to hide. Frightened? Why? I should not be here. At night, I mean. I... Oh, let us talk of something else, huh? All right, Nelana. Tuan, do you like Nelana, perhaps? Definitely. Why do we not go somewhere else? Along the beach, perhaps? You would like that? Mr. Well, Minier uh, is too serious-minded for such things, Nelana. Oh, Minier. Well, Mr. Kurt, join us, won't you? Thank you. Nelana, go to the bungalow at once. Yes, Minier. Yes, I go. I go immediately. She has no business being out alone at night. But, Mr. Finney, is something wrong with your room? It's not comfortable? It was until this flew in through the window. A knife? Yeah, a throwing knife. Ever see it before? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's one of the collections there in the bungalow. Three Americans throw them at targets every evening and wager on the results. I believe uh, Mr. Doran taught the other two. What about you, Mr. Kurt? Do you ever bet with them? It would be too easy. Watch. I learned to throw a knife in Java many years ago. And Nalana, I suppose she's an expert at it too. Nalana knows nothing of knives. Her greatest accomplishment is that of making friends too easily. I see. Just who is she anyway? Does she live here? Yeah, she lives here. She is my wife. Your, your wife? Exactly. My wife. Good night, Mr. Vanier. In just a moment, we will return to Escape. But first, coming to you in succession, Spike Jones, Jack Benny, and Amos and Andy bring you 90 nonstop minutes of superlative joy every Sunday night when you hear them among CBS's 10 great Sunday night shows. The Spike Jones Show and Amos and Andy are heard over most of these same CBS stations, and Jack Benny comes to you over them all. And now with our star, Jeff Chandler, we return to the second act of Escape and Red Wine. When I finally turned in that night, I didn't make the mistake of lighting the lantern again. Being a target once in an evening was enough. I undressed in the dark, pushed the bed up to block the door, propped a chair against the windowsill, and lay down on the floor. I kept trying to fit some theory together to account for the things that had happened. When I drifted off to sleep, I was no nearer any answer than before. I woke up with the first light of dawn, for a full minute was ready to predict a peaceful day. Then I turned my head slightly and saw it on the floor against the wall, 18 inches from my left hand, its eyes open and unmoving, lay a crite, first cousin to the cobra, the deadliest snake in Borneo. Cold sweat broke out of my forehead, ran into the corners of my eyes. Not daring to make any sudden move, I slid my right hand slowly up behind me and found my gun under the pillow. The snake moved slightly. I froze for one long minute. Carefully, I brought the gun over until I had the ugly head centered above the foresight. Then... 
I did, Kurt, in here. Hey, Kurt, what's all the shooting about? Find out now, Gerard. Souvenir. Oh, all right. Oh, sure, Kurt. Come on in. I, I had an early morning visitor there on the floor. God, Kreit. Did he bite you? No, no, he what didn't. What the devil's all the racket about? Ah, snake. That's funny. What's funny, Duran? A cried Wilmerding. Just killed one here in my room. Well, there's plenty of them around, but I never heard of one crawling into a room before. I'm not sure it did crawl in. What do you mean? I've got an idea it may have been dropped in through the mosquito netting there at the window. Yeah? By whom? By a guy named Jerome Steeks. Ever hear of him, Duran? Why don't you pick up Wilma Ding? He's your man. Oh, sure, sure. I always carry a couple of snakes around in my pocket just for luck. What I want to know is who carries this around in their pocket for luck. That's one of our knives in the living room. We throw them at a target. Yeah, I know. Only last night, I was the target. And Prale's your boy. He's an expert. Wins every time we play. Dry up, Duran. Hey, listen, you crack oh, like that. Oh, relax, all of you. All right. So nobody knows anything about these accidents. They just happen. But here's a warning to whichever one of you is, Steaks. The next time, you better cover yourself. I'm through being a clay pigeon. From now on, it's going to be a lot tougher. A whole lot tougher. That day passed. The next, I got exactly nowhere. Things didn't fit, didn't add up. I saw Nelana several times, but had no chance to speak to her. When Herr Kurt was with me, she'd pass without a glance. But if I was alone, she'd manage a quick, provocative smile that sent shivers down my spine. By the fourth day, the tension among us had grown almost unbearable. The steamer was due the next evening on its return trip to Batavia. I needed a break of some kind, had to have one. Well, it came at dusk when I dropped into my room to change for dinner. Tuan. Huh? It is I, Nilana. Nilana, what the devil are you doing here? To see you, Tuan. Does that make you unhappy? Oh, no, but I doubt if Herr Kurt would think much of the idea. Oh, no, he must not find out. That is why I hide here and wait for you. Oh, but he may walk in here any moment. That is true, Tuan. It is why I cannot stay now. But I wish something to ask you. All right, honey, shoot. It is true that you look for a man who has killed a woman in your United States? Yeah, that's right. A man who now names himself by another name? Yes, no, Anna, do it you know... It is perhaps the same one who one night threw the knife at you? Yeah, I think so. Do you know who it is? I saw the knife thrown to one. I was outside, oh, but... be quiet. Oh, it is someone. Yeah, it's Herr Kurt. Oh. He's going into the living room. But he will come here when he does not find you. I am very frightened, Tuan. I must go. Oh, no, wait. I've got to know. No, no. There's no time now. Tonight, when everyone sleeps, yeah. wait by the tall palm at the edge of the clearing. I will come. All right, I'll be there. Nelana has done foolish things, Tuan. But tonight she will fix it all good. You come. I waited for a long time in the shadow by the palm tree. Watch the moonlight sift down through the shaggy fronds. But two hours passed, she didn't come. Waiting there, though, in the jungle night, a plan began to form in my mind. A long shot, true enough, but one with possibilities. It needed luck to work, but I'd come to the point where I had to count on a little luck. At any rate, I decided to start the ball rolling the next morning, after breakfast. Now, wait a minute, Vernier. Let's get this straight. And I thought I put it straight enough, Duran. I, 
I said the hunt's off. I'm pulling out on that boat tonight. You can all relax. Yeah, but uh, five days ago, you were so cockeyed sure it was one of us. How come the switch? Five days ago, Wilma Ding, I didn't know you guys. I was certain of the information I'd picked up in Batavia. And I'm not so certain of it now. What changed your mind? A sweet disposition? Uh, no, exactly the opposite, Frail. Now, I doubt very much if any of you guys is who he claims to be. I wouldn't be surprised if Doran, Wilmerding, and Prale are all phony names, but that's not my business. I came here after Steaks. I've decided now I made a mistake, and that's that. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, aren't you forgetting the fact that somebody tried to knock you off a couple of times? Well, let's just say the reason for that was a side issue. It had nothing to do with Steaks. Come in here, push us around for a week, and then decide it was all a mistake. I'm sorry, Prale. And look, I, I'm going to try to make up for it this evening. I'm throwing a dinner party at Herr Kurt's bungalow before the boat leaves tonight. You're, you're all invited. Yeah, now that's pretty decent of you, Vernier. I'll get some food and drinks from the captain as soon as he docks. If you're as fed up with rice stuffle and warm beer as I am, you'll be ready for a change. Yeah. Sure is all right with me. Well, good, good. And it's all settled. And I can promise you at least... Two surprise dishes. Maybe three, if you care I beg your pardon, gentlemen. Oh, Herr Kurt, come on in. I was wondering if any of you had seen Elana this morning. Mm -hmm. Not me. Well, yeah, what's see. wrong, Herr Kurt? I'm rather concerned about her, Mr. Veneer. She has not been home since early last night. I had a couple of ideas about that myself. Ideas I wished I didn't have. Anyway, as soon as the rest of the bunch went about their business, I began my own search for Nelana. I didn't know the country, and it was nearly dusk before I found her. Then I said nothing about it to anyone. But sitting at the table that night while the dinner party moved along, I was seeing everything through a haze of red. The same color as the red in a sarong wrapped around the slim figure of a beautiful girl. I kept thinking how she'd never smile anymore, how she'd never walk in the moonlight again. Because somebody had cut her throat. <laughs> I know a story along the same lines. I never heard that one before. Ah, oh, what a dinner. Oh, after six months of rife stuff, well, I could go crazy about that. Uh, yeah, when you throw one, Veneer, you really throw it. That's well, right. This is only the beginning. Beginning? Where can you go from here? Well, right now, for instance, roast pheasant. Mm. All right, Wong, bring it over. Sure, Twan. Right away, I bring. Would oh, you like for me that? to put here for you <laughs> to carve, Twan? Uh, no, no. I uh, I wonder if you'd mind carving it, Herr Kurt. Not at all, Mr. Vanier. I should be happy to place it here, Wong. Boy, I haven't had a roast pheasant since Australia. We used to shoot them all the time. Even the smell's enough to drive you crazy. Ah, you said it, Prayer. Oh, you haven't seen anything yet. The pheasant is the main dish, so the two surprises go right along with it. Uh, Wong, bring it out. Sir, Twan, I bring right away now. Uh, careful, don't drop it. Ooh, there yeah, we are. Thanks. Boy. Well, there you are. It's hey. Chambertin, vintage wine. 1911. Unquestionably the finest red wine that exists in the world today. Holy smoke, where'd you get it? Oh, I, I found out on the trip in the captain of the steamer had a few bottles. Took a lot of talking to get one out of him, but, uh -huh. but I'll open it, Wong. Have you, have you got the glasses? Here, twice. Good. Well, boys, you may go back to warm beer tomorrow, but you've got the best tonight. <laughs> now, Wong, uh, show him the second surprise. One big bucket ice. Ice! Real honest-to-gosh cracked ice. Oh, I haven't seen a chunk of ice for six months. Oh, I thought you'd go for that one. All right, Wong, serve the wine, will you? Sure, Twan. You know, it was pretty amazing to find 1911 Chambertin on a little tramp freighter down here in the South Pacific. The stuff's so rare, it's hard to get at any price anymore. Eh, maybe so, but that ice is what gets me. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, Wong. Dump plenty in mine. Oh, Wong, stop that. What the devil are you... Uh... What's the matter, Wilma Ding? Oh, uh, what? 
Why, well, I, what I mean is I... You mean you're well aware of the fact that ice kills the bouquet of Sambutan. Isn't that it? Steaks? Steaks? You mean Wilbur Davis? Yes, yes. Once a gourmet, always a gourmet. A crook with enough sense to keep his hair dyed black for years so he could become a natural blonde if he ever had to make a getaway. But not enough sense to keep still and let me ruin a bottle of wine. Hey, easy with those hands. Don't try reaching for a gun. Let him reach for it, Mr. Fenio. Kurt, no. Put down that knife. Go, Veneers. Go for his gun. Too late. Kurt. Good Lord, Kurt. You've killed him. I'm sorry you do not have our prisoner to take back with you, Mr. Vanilla. But I, too, found her body. I knew you had been there. I saw your footprints. I'm sorry, Kurt. And she was... She, she had... had been seeing Wilmerling. I had guessed it was one of them. And apparently she found out he was Steaks. Yeah, I know. That's what she was going to tell me, only he didn't give her a chance. She was young, Mr. Vanilla. Foolish, perhaps, but I... I loved her very much. Hey, look. He knocked over that bottle of wine. It's pouring out all over the place. Yeah. Brother, what a mess. Yeah, Darren. It's quite a mess. Only one thing, though. Not all of it is red wine. Escape is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Today, we have presented transcribed Red Wine by L.G. Blockman, adapted for radio by Mort Lewis and Les Crutchfield, with editorial supervision by John Dunkel. Starred as Paul Vernier was Jeff Chandler, with Barry Kroger as Herr Kurt. Featured players were David Ellis, Lou Krugman, Jack Crucian, and Lorette Philbrandt. The special music was arranged and played by Ivan Dittmars. Next week, you are flying over the lonely wastes of the Pacific, lost, torn by the fury of a typhoon, your gasoline running out, and ahead of you is an adventure so strange, so terrifying, that your mind cannot accept it. Next week, we escape with Nelson Bond's gripping story of a fantastic Conqueror's Isle. Goodbye, then, until this same time next week, when once again CBS offers you Escape! Broadway is my beat, says Danny Clover, and he's proud of it. Tomorrow afternoon, over most of these same CBS stations, you'll hear the first of Danny's adventures. You'll hear how a real cop with a real purpose for running down a murder goes about his business, backed by the world's largest police department. Listen in as Danny declares, Broadway is my beat. Now, stay tuned for five minutes of the latest news to be followed by Let's Pretend over most of these same CBS stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs>